Jack LeBrock. Hi, I'm David Reynolds, and you're listening to Inside Supercars. From the racetracks across Australia, and here's Inside Supercars. Welcome to Inside Supercars, uh, Tony Whitlock and Craig Ravel, and we've got uh, one of the stars of the media circus in Stefan Bartholomew from supercars.com. Welcome back from Adelaide, uh, your hometown. Thanks, Tony. You always do me a good intro. Much appreciated. <laughs> and well-deserved, well-deserved. Uh, just as somebody who was on the ground there, was the event to have a, as an air of excitement about it? Yeah, I think whenever the you roll around into the first event of the season after a couple of months off, um, there's a bit of excitement, but this year there were a few few things obviously that were done, the, the aero work that was done in the off-season and some controlled dampers and bits and pieces like that that created a few unknowns. So um, there was definitely some uh, anticipation going in. We got a little bit of a taste of it at Tail and Bend. Doing a pre-season test during race week for the 500 was something new. It uh, definitely made for a long week for everybody, but uh, it sort of built the, built the show into then Thursday practice Friday and, and so on. Rather surprisingly, even though there was that uh, test on the Tuesday, um, the crowd is dramatically down. I don't know as a percentage, but you know, where in years past we've been seeing figures edging towards 300, this time it was just over 200 for the four days, which is a giant drop. You'd have to agree. Yeah, it is. And I'm sure that's something that uh, everybody involved will have a pretty close look at. I guess that. One of the notable things is they didn't have a superstar sort of musical act where we've had the Chili Peppers and Robbie Williams and the like headlining the Sunday night uh, in recent years. And um, they had a local band, Hickok Hoods, which are very popular in Australia, but probably not quite at the at the level of drawing crowds of those those other uh, acts. Um, and in general, it just it just really feels like it's, it's just harder to get people to spend four days outside, unfortunately. Um, so they certainly try very, very hard. The um, Adelaide 500 is obviously promoted essentially by the by the government and um, not one of the supercars promoted events, but they do a really good job of trying to really have as much there for people who aren't necessarily rusted on car racing, people like, like you guys and me and people who would listen to this show. There's lots to see and do outside of car racing. Um, You'd have to think they try. They try hard every year to bring something new to it, but um, you could certainly tell there was a few less people there this year. Yeah, um, one of the things that, that they have done very well for a long time, and people actually always thought it was supercars. It was the one who was dictating the number of categories, things like that. But of course, it's not. It's the organisers. What was the South Australian Motorsport Board that for so many years had such a full grid of, of events that were on um, and look there was some pretty good racing over the, all the categories this time around um, you know some close stuff up the front in both uh, Porsche and Super 2 um, uh, stadium trucks had lots of excitement and even TCM with new winners like Ryan Hansford so I, I, there was that sort of on track sort of thing but as you say without having a, a headline act maybe and I maybe I need to go and have a look at those Sunday figures in years past has that always been the thing that's pumped up the attendance um, because of the Sunday event yeah I think it has from, from memory a couple of years ago they also um, cut the cloth a little bit and didn't have a, a big act and it was down a little bit as well I think the overall trend has been a bit down in recent years which is a trend well beyond Adelaide 500 or, or supercars or, or anything like that. It's sort of um, 
how it's going with there's just so many things for people and families and whatever to be doing with their time that um, committing uh, what is a reasonable sort of sum of cash to to go out into the into the elements um, is, is difficult and last year it was so hot um, for uh, for all four days I, I think so it had 40 degrees um, which wasn't all that pleasant for a lot of people so I don't know whether that had a knock-on impact um, it was much better this year sort of high 20s and low 30s but whether anyone was too tuckered out from last year to, to come back. Mm. Stefan, we look at what we've learnt from this weekend and one of the funny things that happened was at that Saturday press conference where people were asking about the aero of the cars and I think the drivers took it that it was a parody question where it was really just asking what the cars were like in the air with the new aerodynamic package, not so much about parody, but they really wanted to stay well clear of it. Yeah, well, that's that's the thing. There's really been two conversations around aero and, and two reasons to do that. Um, the VCAT uh, aerodynamic homologation testing that they did over the summer, and one of those was to, to try to get make sure the cars are even from Mustang to, to Commodore. There's two only two models in it this year, as we know, but also to trim a bit of downforce out of them because um, even though they try to set a benchmark each year, it sort of seems to creep up, and we saw a pretty big increase, we, we believe, last year with the Mustang coming in and the Commodore being raised to match it. And uh, they were trying to trim sort of 10, 10 12% out of for 2020 in a way that um, they could take some out without forcing people to really redesign expensive um, aerodynamic pieces on the cars. But unfortunately, from what we saw in Adelaide, it does really feel like there's still an issue. And certainly the driver feedback was that there's still an issue with regards to um, not being able to run really close to the car in front without losing February front aero, which is just a symptom of having too much downforce on the car. So I think um, there's certainly a big appetite, particularly amongst the, the driving group, to see the uh, aero reduced significantly more, which supercars have sort of said that's the plan for the future, but they didn't want to do it all at once right now just because of the cost of the things. Mm, and the super shock, the Pedder's super shock, it seemed to have an evening factor across the weekend and even at the test day. The good teams were still at the pointy end of the field. Yeah, you're right. In the end, the uh, the Red Bull HRT cars and the Shell V Power Racing cars, particularly the 17, were uh, sort of the class of the field, but um, we saw promisingly that the Tickford group, um, we saw Walker Andretti United, which has Mostert right up there as well. Um, it, there was a bit of a feeling that it's helped level the playing field. It certainly made the cars more spectacular to watch, particularly early in the weekend when the drivers and teams were trying to work it out. And it'll be interesting to see how much they can engineer around the fact that you've got a control damper now and they can't have infinite shim and piston and all this all this development that they used to do with, um, with their own dampers. Um, they can't do that now. So you've sort of got to design your your suspension parts around something that's fixed. And critically, Red Bull, who were the importers of one of the shock packages for many years, they were right up the front. So they've got their head around it, unlike what we saw with the dual rear springs. Yeah, and then curiously enough, um, evidently Shane Van Gisbergen had a had a suspension failure um, late in the Sunday race after he'd been forced to really drive qualifying laps for a for basically half the race after they had a uh, issue with the pit stop that meant they needed a third stop. So it was actually a lower control arm 
that uh, that failed. Certainly not the shock, but um, talking to team manager Mark Dutton about that later on, he sort of said nothing. Uh, nothing's a coincidence in this game. Whenever you've got new bits and pieces in there, you can't sort of rule out the fact that that could have contributed. As there were a, a few factors, but we saw a triple eight lower control arm fail on the customer team eighteen Scott Pycar on the Friday, which put him in the fence, and they were a bit uh, a bit concerned about those parts then for the rest of the weekend and evidently one failed after Shane had been caning it pretty hard in the race. So um, that was certainly, there was a little bit of a question mark around whether we would see dampers failing a fair bit in Adelaide and thankfully we didn't see that but um, it was certainly an interesting full stop on the weekend for uh, for Shane there and an unfortunate one for him because he was really the, the star of the show on Sunday. He drove a fantastic race and he deserved, uh, deserved the trophy. Uh, Stefan, um, I'm not expecting you to have an answer to the one about the Triple Eight one, but given that uh, the uh, one on the Team 18 car happened on Thursday, do you know if it was uh, the mounting or the or the component failure itself mounted to the car? Which was it? Was it the mount or the the arm itself that failed? Do you do you get any feedback on that? No, I'm certainly certainly uh, they weren't providing us with that sort of detail. I'm not quite across that that level, but. Um the uh, the triple eight guys went into team eighteen and had a bit of a chat about it and uh, and took the the control arm and whatever else with them back into their own their own part of the paddock. So um, they were certainly forensically looking at that and then inspecting all of the the triple eight front ends um, throughout the weekend for any signs of any weakness, which they said they couldn't see any of before before the race. So. Um, Whatever's uh, failed on Shane's car, they had no uh, no way of knowing that it was going to do that before it did. And from what I could see, Shane's failed right next to the weld. So it was at the wheel end, and uh, it was right next to the weld. And the other thing it failed right next to was uh, was Cam Waters, and I think uh, Cam was pretty lucky he didn't get taken out by Shane. Shane did a really good job to, to keep off the, uh, the monster car there. That was all pretty exciting. Um, there's an amazing irony in the uh, race in that the, the two lead teams this year and have been for many, many years uh, in DJR Tempensky and Triple Eight, um, both of them made pit lane errors, um, one a short fill and one a long fill. Um, those are the very things that have actually made them stand out in recent times, the fact that they weren't making those errors, although there have been a number with Triple Eight, unfortunately, on 97, uh, wheel finger errors and such like but it's extraordinary sort of scenes for both the, the uh, failure of the Penske car to get out of pit lane before 97 and then the, the short fill. I, I, it's unprecedented almost to have the, them both countering each other out. Yeah, it was an interesting one, especially with the 17, that uh, we all expected them to just to be looking back at the 97 and then and then drop and send the 17 to make sure it stayed in front because, as we talked about with the wash before, Track position was was so vital. Even having a tiny bit of fuel in hand probably wasn't going to uh, be better than having track position for sure. But um, it's interesting to think too that, um, like last year, the Triple Eight guys were in the lead garages with Penske's behind, um, and having won the team's title back last year, Penske's then get the first two garages. So we saw when Penske's had the first two in 2018 that there was early there was one or two little drops and sends that didn't quite work out for them and they sort of looked like they had a bit of a first day of school error on that again just trying to judge that and get it all right so it's tiny margins sometimes decide these races and 
by their own admission, Scotty was pretty open about the fact that uh, on most days they would have cost them the race. So um, certainly if you handball the ball to the opposition, you can't always rely on them to uh, trip over as they're running into the open goal. That's uh, what happened. Just one thing leading up to, of course, the Grand Prix, the next event, next hit out. Um, given the, the, the number of drivers um, all using similar sort of phrasing um, about the cars and how much uh, more difficult they are to drive, which, I, you know, as somebody who watches these things and has done for 30-odd years, um, I find it fantastic to hear the drivers talking about things like that, the fact that we want them to be, you know, earning their, their money as drivers. We don't want them to be as just a steering wheel attendants. The fact that they are having to manhandle cars and on a big, fast, open circuit like Grand Prix, it bodes well for some uh, terrific tight racing. What do you think, Stefan? Yeah, exactly. The the real uh, sort of feedback from a lot of the drivers was that there's a bigger bigger percentage of driver in the overall uh, lap time as opposed to it all being about uh, about car um, in Adelaide. It's it's always been one of those tracks, though, those street circuits, and particularly Adelaide, where it's big commitment, braking zones, ragging the thing over curbs, and all that, where there probably is a bit more driver in it anyway. Um, and then Albert Park's a little bit more of a traditional long radius sort of technical track, if you like. But it's, it's one of the great things about the championship, regardless that you have two such different tracks straight up. And, you know, it's one of those things, if you look at the form from the weekend, that um, Chaz Moss had an amazing first event with, with Walkinshaws, um, second there on the Sunday, capping that off. Very promising. But at the same time, and even talking to Ryan Walkinshaw on Sunday night, he was pretty uh, keen to play it down a little bit, even though he was stoked with the results, because they know that, They've gone there before with, with James Courtney, with Garth Tander, whoever else, and got on the podium in Adelaide, and then they found themselves buried in the midfield at Albert Park, which is such a different type of track, as we were saying. So, um, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how that form translates from, from Adelaide to Albert Park, and then on to the to more events, some of our tighter permanent circuits, and to see how it sort of flows on from there. All right. Well, Stefan, it's been wonderful hearing from you. We look forward to catching up at the Grand Prix. Thank you so much for joining us on Inside Supercars. Stefan Bartholomeus of supercars.com. Uh, we look forward to reading some more stories breaking in the coming weeks leading up to it. I imagine there's things brewing there in the background. Yeah, definitely. Obviously, the uh, the Holden news in the lead up to the Adelaide, uh, Adelaide round was uh, pretty big and uh, a lot of people are going to spend uh, the next little bit digesting that. Um, people that are paid more than I am so uh, see how that unfolds alright well thank you and uh, look forward to you on our next edition of Inside Supercars Inside Supercars is produced by Thunder Media, tune in next time for more or lock in the podcast on your iTunes or mobile device search Inside Supercars the views expressed on Inside Supercars including the panellists and guests do not reflect the views of the network Thunder Media or Sport Radio any publication or rebroadcast of the show without the expressed written permission of Thunder Media is strictly prohibited.